Freedom Digital Media presents the Enough Podcast by Anna Laramore, helping the modern millennial woman rediscover her worth and identify her boundaries in business, relationships, friendships, and more. Hello, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Enough Podcast. I'm your host, Anna Laramore. And I am so excited for today's episode because we are going back to basics with this one. It is episode nine. I am so prepared today. Have my computer out in front of me. I wrote this episode out. We're gonna watch the clock and try to give you a more reasonable time, but I have a feeling that this one is gonna be long too just because we have a lot of good stuff prepared for you guys today. Uh, And I'm not so scatterbrained today. So if you didn't know, I really, really love writing. It's definitely my longest passion. Um, I've had a knack for writing since I was born. I have a degree in writing, and I forgot for a second how much joy I get from writing. Uh, It's cathartic for me, and I love to be creative with it. And it really just brought me so much joy to prepare this episode. It's made me think back to times in my life where I wasn't writing at all, and because of that, I was just not fulfilled. But right now, I'm feeling refreshed, I'm feeling positive, and I'm excited about this episode. So there's no in-studio guest today or co-host. It's just me and Jordan. We are going to lay out this episode like we used to do it, So like kind of like we were doing it for a while. So I'm going to talk in the beginning as a one-woman show. Then we will hear from an incredible guest who we will be having call into the podcast. And then Jordan and I will chit-chat at the end. And it's funny because That format is totally not what I originally envisioned when I started this project. It just kind of happened that way. Uh, But I really like it, and you guys seem to like it, so we're going to roll with it. All right, here we go. So first thing I want to cover today is some Bachelor talk. If you don't watch these shows, I recommend not fast-forwarding this part because I'm going to talk about some very real-life concepts that are a teaching moment. And I'm just gonna use these people as examples of some of the psychological behaviors that I'm noticing. So bear with me, stick with me here. Um, Disclaimer, I don't feel necessarily that compelled to throw this out there, but just so you know, uh, if you're new to the podcast, I am not a professional in that sphere. Um, I'm not a therapist, I'm not a psychologist, I don't have a degree in any of that. Um, But it is something that I've taken an interest in and done a lot of research on on my own. So that's why I enjoy talking about these topics. And I want to do this for so many reasons. So I'm watching Bachelor in Paradise right now. And of course, I watched last season of The Bachelorette with Hannah Brown. And I wanted an in-studio co-host for this episode. It was going to be Laura um, to help me dissect all of the things going on in pop culture right now, especially as it pertains to The Bachelor franchise. But a few of the people I had lined up fell through. Um, If you listen to episode five, you heard my cousin Laura and I do a little recap there. We were going to elaborate. Um, but when she, you know, couldn't come on today, I decided I was just going to do this one on my own. I would have Jordan walk through it with me, but she doesn't watch. So it's just me and here are my thoughts. So we're going to start with Paradise because that's the current show that's happening. But then I do want to rewind back to Hannah's season of The Bachelorette and give you my thoughts on the rest of how that season unfolded. Um, I know we very briefly touched on the beginning of that season in episode five, but since that's old news, we'll do Paradise first, and then we'll circle back to that since I do still think it's important. Okay, so first of all, let's talk about the Blake and Kaylin situation. (sighs) Because that is really the first big Paradise storyline. So a disclaimer for what I'm about to say is that I never really liked Kaylin. I didn't care for her on Colton's season. It was very clear to me from the beginning that she was a gossip queen and maybe not the most likable person. Uh, I have a feeling if I met her in person that she would probably be super nice, but on my TV screen, not the biggest fan. 
That being said, I do have some empathy for her in this whole situation, probably more than most people do, and I'm gonna tell you why. So Kaylin comes down, here's a little recap if you guys don't watch it. Uh, Kaylin comes down onto the beach. The first thing that she does is start talking shit about Blake to anyone who will listen. She claims that they had a fling virtually that lasted for several months. They were texting, they were FaceTiming, they were talking daily for a while. And then they ended up getting together at Stagecoach and hooking up that night. Uh, she claims that he told her not to tell anyone about it and that he had also hooked up with Christina within 24 hours of the Kaylin hookup and that he ultimately ghosted Kaylin. So there's drama that surrounds this. We see Blake pursuing Tasha. We see Blake pursuing Hannah. We see Blake having conflict with Christina. We see Blake having conflict, to say the least, with Kaylin. It's a mess. It's all a mess. Christina gets pissed off. Kaylin is sobbing. It's very clear that these people got their feelings hurt and all of this. And then after that episode, Blake decides in real time, so right after the episode had been released, um, but he is going to release private text messages from Kaylin on his Instagram. And these texts clearly reveal that they came to a mutual agreement that they wanted to be secretive about their hookup and that Kaylin was the one who initiated the hookup in these particular texts. I hate to say this phrase, but looks like she was begging for it and that it would be just sex, quote unquote. So from the outside looking in, most people would feel that Kaylin is the liar here, that Blake is the victim, and that that's that. But here's why I feel differently about this. I wanna talk about a concept called trauma bonding. So the official definition of trauma bonding is this. Trauma bonding occurs as a result of ongoing cycles of abuse in which the intermittent reinforcement of reward and punishment creates powerful emotional bonds that are resistant to change. So if you don't know, Kaylin was a victim of rape and sexual assault. Uh, it was a very graphic and heartbreaking story and I'm not going to discuss it here. And she also has a different family dynamic where um, she has a biological dad, but the man she calls dad is not her biological dad. Um, so add these things on top of all of the stress a regular person goes through every day and then magnify that onto a massive scale of having your every move broadcasted to the rest of the world on social media, television, tabloids, etc. Which yes, she signed up for, but that does not make her exempt from experiencing the trauma that can be associated with that. So there's a lot of trauma happening here that is quite literally affecting the way that she interacts with Blake. Uh, it's science, it's clear as day. Trauma bonding essentially does to your brain what a drug addiction does to your brain. So the body goes through turmoil with high levels of cortisol, which is then paired with dopamine when affection is given as a reward. And I think a lot of people were shocked about the text messages because it painted Kaylin, uh, it painted her depiction of the situation as fabricated, but I wasn't shocked at all. It actually made so much more sense to me. Kaylin's codependent behaviors in those text messages were so freaking relatable and I'm sick of people painting her as a desperate slut and slut shaming her because we've all been that girl. When you like someone who doesn't like you back, which is ultimately a codependency problem, you are essentially viewing them as a prize to be won. You will do anything just to be with them. And if that means promising that it's just sex, then that's what you promise them. Kaylin didn't mean that for a second though in those texts. Are you kidding me? Kaylin was just trying to get whatever time, attention, and affection she could from Blake. And if that meant being dishonest about her intentions, then that's what it meant. It's not right, but that's what it is. 
she wanted him to fall in love with her because she was clearly in love with him. She tried to act cool and she so clearly didn't. And disclaimer, sometimes people do want just sex. I'm not saying that everyone who, you know, says these things wants more. Um, but I'm saying in my humble opinion that that's very obviously not what Kaylin wanted or she wouldn't have sobbed about it and talked about it every five seconds. So it was not just sex for her and she never intended for it to be, in my opinion. So anyways, to wrap this part up, of course, Kaylin talked shit about Blake to anyone who would listen. She hurt her own feelings. She feels crazy about it in her own head. Is it immature? Probably. Is it obnoxious? Most definitely. I'm tired of hearing about it. But to say you guys don't understand it or didn't expect it, it's just ridiculous to me. All of this being said, that doesn't mean that we shouldn't hold Kaylin accountable for her actions because we should. Um, this is her way of processing trauma that in part has nothing to do with Blake or even the Bachelor franchise, and I mean nothing. So I've been Caitlin in this way. I have talked about guys to anyone who would listen because of my own trauma that may or may not have even had anything to do with them that I essentially recreated through experiences and they were, you know, kind of a pawn uh, in that. So here's where Caitlin's in the wrong. Kaylin is not processing her trauma in the healthiest way she could be processing it, and I almost feel terrible for saying that out loud because who am I to tell someone who has been through so much how they're feeling or, you know, what to feel and what to do with it? Um, all of this is none of my business, and who knows? Maybe she's made so much progress since this happened to her, and we just never saw that unfold because she wasn't on TV until less than a year ago, and I'm sure that she has. But if she was really on a healing path, she would not have made up lies. She would not have talked shit, and she would not have even tried to pursue Blake in the first place because she knew from the get-go that he was emotionally unavailable, but she did it anyway. She is depicting codependent behaviors because she is trauma bonding, and I have compassion for that. End of story. Here's where Blake is in the wrong. I do believe Blake has every right to hook up with multiple people and explore his options, and even just now, I just got a text with a picture of him kissing someone else, so I don't know if this is an old picture, a new picture, I have no idea, but he's a single man, I get it. What I don't agree with is leading people on, and if Kaylin is telling the truth about the two of them being more than just a one-night stand, and if Christina is telling the truth about the two of them dating for a little while, which we know is true based on photos, podcast interviews, etc., he is very clearly, and excuse my language, we'll have to bleep this part out, he's being a f boy. He's being a player, and even if you're not in a committed relationship with someone, if you are leading them on emotionally for an extended period of time, and you do not disclose that you are also leading on other people emotionally for an extended period of time, you're a player. You aren't necessarily a cheater, but you suck. So that sucks, that was shitty of him. Uh, he also, in my opinion, made himself look so much worse by releasing those text messages. I think most people, at least that I talk to, um, believe that he made himself look better by clearing his name on some of Caitlin's claims, but I thought that he made himself look super manipulative and shallow because he's undermining what they had by selectively showing a handful of screenshots that make her look awful. Um, again, if they had a fling for five months or whatever Caitlin said, and he chose those very particular text messages to make her look bad, that sucks. And it was funny to me when he, he posted, I'm taking the screenshots down, please don't attack Kaylin. Well, what did you think was gonna happen, you dumbass? Now, of course, he's not gonna show everything. He's just addressing the claims that she made about keeping her a secret, uh, which we now see were a lie, at least to some extent. But 
it's the way he's dismissing the longevity of the relationship. And I'm saying relationship for lack of a better term and the way he's dismissing the emotional part of it. You don't chit chat and FaceTime with a one night stand on a regular basis. Now they may not have had as much as Kaylin is saying they had, but they certainly had more than what Blake is saying they had. And that's not fair of him to make her look even crazier when she's clearly already hurt. That's gaslighting. Also, side note, I've noticed Blake make manipulative comments towards other people, which makes me wonder and it concerns me. Uh, here's an example. So Hannah was very clearly telling Blake about how she felt about her paradise relationships and how she wanted to navigate the rest of her journey. And Blake interrupted her and said, so the reason I think you're making these excuses and my eyes widened, you guys. I'm like, what excuses? Her laying out the ground rules for her life and her boundaries for how she expects to proceed or not proceed with each of these contenders in her own love life? Those aren't excuses. And then last night, he said to Hannah, so I want to remind you why you have a crush on me. <laughs> and those tiny little manipulative comments give me a glimpse into what Kaylin is feeling uh, and why she's feeling it. I don't have a ton of proof of this. But I kind of feel in my heart that everyone is painting Caitlyn as a crazy girl and Blake as a good guy. But in reality, behind closed doors, he probably said plenty of comments like that to her too that made her question herself and mess with her head when she was already messing with her own head by trauma bonding. So I know it sounds like I just made this situation so much more complicated, but it's actually, to me, clear as day. People love a crazy girl narrative, and I think both parties are at fault here, and that Blake is manipulative and needs to grow up, and that Kayla needs to heal from her trauma, and that it's all a freaking mess. Moving on. Not going to talk so much about anything else in Paradise just yet, because even though there are other storylines that are absolutely worth discussing, like Demi's storyline, like some new faces we're seeing, like the fight, like some other relationships in Paradise, etc., I want to save some time here to rewind back to the end of Hannah's season on The Bachelorette to talk about two freaking jerks, Luke and Jed. And before I do this, I want to revisit something that I said last time about The Bachelor. Uh, I said that I felt like, and this was on episode five, I said that I felt like Mike was a bully because he was bullying the bully. And I still stand by that to some degree because I do think that Luke is a narcissist and I think that the best way to deal with a narcissist is to leave them alone, leave them the hell alone really, and not engage. And I don't expect Mike to know that. But I do want to say as we watch the rest of the season play out, of course we got to know Mike better uh, and we can see that he's a good guy and I do like Mike. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Okay, let's talk about Luke, you guys. I am so glad that Luke isn't on Paradise because he deserves to be exiled from this franchise. Uh, this was a really important season of The Bachelorette in my eyes because it opened up a nationwide conversation about narcissism, codependency, and boundaries, which of course are my jam to talk about and to teach people about. So when we talked about Luke on episode five, we were mostly talking about how he doesn't get along with the other guys and we were talking about the Battle of the Lukes, which by the way, Luke S. came up on my hinge the other day, and that cracked me up because thank you, next. But anyway, I want to focus this conversation primarily on the Hannah and Luke blow up when she sent him home because, of course, that is a scene that got a lot of attention, and it's going to go down in Bachelor history. So part of me is really bummed that I didn't get to do this recap sooner when it was all fresh in my head, but then also part of me is really glad that I had plenty of time to cool down from this because watching Luke on TV was triggering for me. It was infuriating. And to watch people defend him is even more concerning. Um, we can touch on that at some point later in the episode, but it is my belief that Luke is actually a sociopath. And here is an overview about 
my concerns about Luke and my thoughts on that whole scenario after rewatching it. Okay, so if you didn't see it or if you don't watch, during Fantasy Suites, Luke basically told Hannah that if she had slept with other people during Fantasy Suites that he would be going home. Mind you, this is after he had just professed love to her and said he would be there for her through thick and thin, no matter what. Um, this scene comes after excessive gaslighting, apathy and lack of empathy, and just being a straight up unagreeable, arrogant, and manipulative dude, uh, which we will walk through a little bit. But a disclaimer before I begin to unpack this, because it's a lot to unpack, I respect Luke's religion and I respect his belief um, and his position. And if he's choosing to save himself for marriage, even though we must remember he is not a virgin, okay, he's a born again virgin, um, and his ideal partner does the same, that's fine. We can't hold it against him for what he chooses to do or not do in his private life with his own body and emotions and how he envisions that also being a priority in his future wife's life. That's fine. However, that's not what happened here. So let's talk about what happened. What happened is that Luke slut-shamed Hannah. He went back on his word almost immediately about being there for her no matter what, and he was toxic in his word choice. And my issue with a lot of women not understanding that this is a problem really kind of comes from my understanding of, under, of the magnitude of this problem. So I was forced because of my own personal experience to learn about this stuff and to realize how dangerous it is. And as a result, I know a lot about it now. And I don't expect everyone to have had an experience like that. And unfortunately, it's going to take a lot of women their own personal experience to get it. Um, but what I would really appreciate if you're not agreeing with me here or if you're not following to just have an open mind and to just really listen and to try to watch this, um, watch this again and watch it with an open mind because I think maybe you'll change your mind and you won't defend him so much. So on top of that, on top of him going back on his word, being toxic in his word choice, slut shaming, etc. Uh, he wasn't even remorseful about it, which is scary. Uh, so let's also get this out of the way. Yes, we all know that generally speaking, people have sex in the fantasy suite. So you got to know that going into this, signing up for this show. Yes, it still sucks if you love someone and they're sleeping with someone else, especially right before you get engaged. But this is not a regular setting that you would experience in real life outside of a TV show. This is the structure of the show. And you know this. Um, it's not like you're exclusive and they cheat on you. That's horrible and that's another thing. But this was not that. Hannah was not in the wrong by sleeping with Peter, in my opinion. And I found it to be really disgusting that Luke used his words and his emotional response to make her feel shame and guilt and to make her feel unworthy of his love. Um, the biggest thing that I can't stand from Luke, aside from the fact that he never took accountability and that he had no regrets, like we saw in After the Final Rose, was this one particular line that he said throughout the whole season, and he said it again in this scene. The line is, I'm being misunderstood. That's problematic, and I'm going to tell you why. I'm being misunderstood implies that Hannah is not understanding him. It's putting blame on Hannah. It's not the same as saying I misspoke or I didn't mean to choose those words or that's not what I meant to say. It doesn't take responsibility. It points blame and it insinuates that she is missing the point or not intelligent or not in tune. And the thing is here, and I said this on episode five, everyone who is making excuses for him saying that he's not intentionally trying to be malicious, that's part of the problem. He is literally this way by nature. He is innately narcissistic and it's scary. He doesn't even see it as a bad thing. 
Um, this is just how he is. And I unfortunately don't have time on this episode to talk about all of the narcissistic behaviors and tendencies that we see in Luke throughout the season. So what I'm going to do for now is I'm going to link an article in the resources tab on the website. The website is enoughbiz.com. And I want you guys to check it out when you have a second. I'm also going to link the video of this scene uh, via YouTube on the resources tab. And that way you'll have an opportunity to rewatch it or even watch it for the first time. There's a lot to learn from this. And to wrap this part up, I want to talk about spiritual abuse. Now we've talked about emotional abuse, we've talked about psychological abuse, verbal abuse, etc. before on the podcast, but we've never talked about spiritual abuse. And this is a perfect time to do so. It's a good teaching moment. So spiritual abuse can be defined as many things, but for this specific example, we're going to use the definition of one partner using religious or spiritual beliefs to manipulate or shame the other partner. And this exchange uh, is where we see Luke repeatedly interrupting or saying things like, can I cut you off, which is just rude. But the first depiction of manipulation here comes from Luke starting off the conversation with, if you have had sex, I want to go home. And then changing his position to, let's say you have had sex, I would be willing to work through anything. This is confusing because not only is he changing his position, his word choice of willing, I'd be willing to work through anything, implies that he would grant her that grace because she would need it. Do you see that? So pay very close attention when you guys watch this clip or rewatch this clip because I have a feeling that someone in your life, past or present, talks this way and it's very problematic and now you're going to notice it. And he says things like, I can understand a slip up. Is consensual sex between two single adults a slip-up? To me, it's not. More importantly, to Hannah, it's not. And that's the whole thing here. This is Hannah's season. It's what it's Hannah's body, it's Hannah's season, it's Hannah's love life, it's Hannah's choice of partnership. And Luke is calling that a slip-up. Luke is implying that God is calling it a slip-up. And that's even worse. And that's not fair. Um, so then the conversation progresses. Luke changes his position again and says that if she has had sex, he's out of here. And then this is where we start to see Hannah call Luke out for his word choice specifically. And I'm so freaking proud of her because it killed me to hear people all season long saying things like, how can she not see through him? Because I've been Hannah. And you guys, I've said it once, I'll say it a thousand times more. A narcissist will deceive you and you will not see through them for a while. We have to remember, we're not seeing all the footage. He was probably being super sweet and charming to her in plenty of interactions that we never saw. And a lot of the bad interactions that we did see, Hannah didn't see. So let's give her some grace and let's be really proud of her for calling the situation out for exactly what it was. And in a short time frame, mind you, I mean, it sometimes takes people years to see that they're being talked to in a manipulative way. So let's give her a round of applause, please. Manipulative word choice, narcissistic, toxic, spiritual abusive, those are all the things that she was calling out the situation for. Um, and I also want to make a note that the scene she said that Luke was the closest thing I've ever felt to love at first sight was probably with you. You guys, this is a clear as day sign that Luke is a narcissist. Narcissists are notorious for this. This is what I experienced. In the moment you think that you've fallen in love harder than anything you've ever felt in your life, then you remember it's because you didn't fall in love. They tripped you. And after the amazing love comes drama and heartbreak and confusion beyond belief. And that's what we saw in this whole relationship on TV. And it was so important to show the world because like I mentioned, it sparked a nationwide conversation and I'm so happy to see pop culture talking about important things. Okay, 
So Hannah says she's uncomfortable that Luke is trying to dismiss her commitment to faith, which is important because yes, of course there are rules and teachings in religion, we know this, but it's not up to anyone else but Hannah to decide what she believes and how she is going to live her life according to any rules or teachings. Luke doesn't get to weigh in on that, especially unsolicited and especially with the intention of shame. Hannah's strength in this conversation is beyond anything I've ever seen or researched in this situation, and it's incredible, and I want to commend her on that. She is like my dream guest to have on the podcast after this particular scene. So after, as the scene wraps up, Luke says, I feel like you owe me, which is incredibly entitled. Again, another narcissistic trait. And then once again, this is the fourth time, if I've counted correctly, Luke changes his position and says he wants to stay. Then he gaslights her and tells her that even though she says that she has clarity, he believes that she does not have clarity. She doesn't know what she wants. She doesn't know what she's talking about. She will regret this, yada, 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 a bunch of narcissistic bullshit. So that scene with Hannah admitting that she had sex with Peter and when she said, Jesus still loves me, that was amazing. But here's the kicker for the spiritual abuse. Are you ready? Luke says, can I pray over you before I leave? suggesting that she needs his prayer and that she needs God's guidance in this. It's abusive and it's not right. So that's my wrap up with Luke. I do want to touch on one more bachelor thing before we move on to the next segment today. This one will be more brief than others. Let's talk about Jed. So we're not going to go into detail as much about this one, at least not on this episode, because frankly, I don't think Jed is worth discussing as there aren't many teaching moments here and he's truly such a piece of shit to me that I don't even want to give him space on my platform. But I do want to discuss a very specific part of the story. I want to empathize with Hannah on what he did to her. So if you don't watch the show, Jed was the winner on Hannah's season. They got engaged. They broke off their engagement. I actually picked Jed, if you remember, in the beginning of episode five. And that episode was recorded before the news came out that he had a girlfriend back home. And there's a lot we could dissect here, but instead of going through my thoughts on the whole thing, because that would take forever, I just want to talk about one specific dating insight that I've experienced before as it pertains to this situation. There are two guys in particular that I dated, and I guess you could say we never technically made it official, quote unquote, but... With one of them, we dated twice. So we dated once, and then several years later, we dated again. It was not a fling. We were talking and calling and texting and FaceTiming every day for several months. We were physically intimate. We introduced each other to our families. Our friends were involved. Uh, we were getting on airplanes to visit each other, etc. cetera. Um, didn't last long. Didn't really have feeling, deep feelings for him in any way, but that's what it was. The other one, however, was way more serious. Um, this one I was actually in love with and we experienced all of the above, but he was even at my college graduation with my family. He spent a week in my family's home. I spent a week in his family's home. We were having sleepovers every night before we were long distance. We were going on dates as frequently as possible, falling asleep, FaceTiming when we couldn't be together. We traveled together, you name it. And even though I guess we didn't solidify the boyfriend, girlfriend title with, you know, each other, and, and this isn't either of these relationships that I'm describing. They were in so deep with me that when I found out they were also sleeping with and dating other women, unbeknownst to me, it was like a joke. Like, are you kidding me? And now the first one, you know, he is married, and the second one is recently single from the girl that he left me for, um, Karma. And we're going to talk about this in the next segment a little bit because it directly applies. But Jed's excuse of, we were never official, 
is truly the most immature thing I have ever heard in my life. And it means that he's not mature enough to be married. So I'm so glad that Hannah gave him the boot. But it's also something that I've experienced with these two guys and beyond. So not just in these two relationships. There were plenty of other guys I dated that uh, didn't make their intentions clear. But these guys, these two guys I'm describing really take the cake in my life. Um, and with Jed, I mean, to get engaged to someone and not tell them that you had a girlfriend back home is the most dishonest, bizarre situation. And I want to make it clear that yes, a single man can date around, can even sleep around. That's fine and good. But if this girl back home was truly no big deal like he's claiming, she wouldn't be confused. And she was confused, which means that he was and is a coward. If you're dating multiple people at once and you make your intentions clear that you're not looking for anything serious, I don't believe that you owe it to anyone to lay out all of your business. I get that. But if you're not making your intentions clear, you're leading people on emotionally, you're sleeping around with those people, you're being a coward. And I'm glad that this show exiled Jed so quickly because on social media, which is a very powerful space right now, guys are seeing girls' reactions to this Jed thing. Guys know that you know their girlfriends and their friends and their mom and their sisters and people in their lives watch The Bachelor and The Bachelorette, and they got, they got some information, some inside information about what really happened here. And now guys are like, wow, girls are pissed, women are pissed. This isn't cool. Maybe I should make my intentions more clear moving forward. Maybe this Blake guy is a freaking douchebag. Maybe this Luke guy really needs therapy and talks to women horribly and doesn't even know it. Maybe this Jet guy is a total coward. And I hope it makes guys do some serious self-reflection about their own dating lives because this stuff has got to stop. If you haven't yet listened to episode one, it's about narcissism and emotionally abusive relationships. And I would definitely recommend giving that one a listen. It sets the foundation for this podcast at large and it will give you some more insight into me and the brand. So I do have um, one more tiny little bachelor thing, I guess two more tiny little bachelor things that I wanna mention before we wrap up. Yes, as you notice, I did not say anything about Tyler. That's just something for a whole other episode and it doesn't really pertain to narcissism or emotional abuse, so I'm not gonna say anything about it here. I still love Tyler despite everything that's popping up about him in social media and pop culture right now. And then I wanted to address a tiny little comment that I heard Kevin say on the very first episode, probably within the first five minutes of the episode. And if you're not as, I guess, on edge about this stuff as I am, you probably didn't catch this, but I'm going to bring it to your attention. I think it was Katie. I can't remember which girl it was, but Kevin complimented one of the girls on the way that she looked, on her romper specifically. And he said, you look really good. You have an, I like that romper. Uh, not every girl that wears rompers has the proper physique to do so. And I thought that that was so narcissistic and problematic for several reasons. One, uh, he's implying that you have to be a certain body type to even wear a romper. That's gross. And two, he's emphasizing such a compliment on her physical appearance based on his own standard, his own skewed standard of beauty, that leads me to believe that in his relationships, he probably puts a lot of pressure on people on their physical appearance, which I can tell you from personal experience is a freaking nightmare and you'll never be happy with someone like that. So sometimes I listen to these tiny little comments and you might think that I'm being harsh or 
jaded or just not giving people a chance, but I'm telling you guys, the power of word choice is way stronger than you might realize, and I would encourage you to sometimes take a step back and really listen to what people are saying and how they're saying it, and that'll give you the opportunity to process why they're saying it, what issues that they have that they're projecting onto you that they'll make you responsible for. So. That's my bachelor commentary of the episode. I'm looking forward to discussing more bachelor things in the future. If you don't watch the show and you've stuck with me and listening to this segment, I really appreciate it. I hope that you learned something. And if you have stuck with me and you do watch the show, send me an email and weigh in on your thoughts. The email is podcast at enoughbiz.com. All right. We're finally going to be calling our guest of the day. You guys, I am so excited for this one. We're going to be hearing from Crystal Iram. She's a relationship coach, and her story is really interesting. She manifested her husband. She went from single to married in 10 months. Crystal reached out to me via email, and I've been really busy taking a lot of calls from people who have reached out to me on the email uh, with a pitch or have had their booking agent reach out to me with a pitch about being on the show. It's something that I've really had to sift through and manage, and I'm so excited that Crystal will be the first of that pool to be featured on the Enough podcast. She has an incredible website and Instagram, which we'll be linking on the website as well as the show notes. And we're going to talk about her quiz on her website and the results that I got on it, which might give us a little glimpse into why I'm struggling with my love life. If you're ready for love or if you want to improve your love life, keep listening. We have a treat for you. Please welcome Crystal Iram. Hey, Crystal, how are you? I am great. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I am so excited to have you. You are just so impressive to me. Jordan, my producer, and I were just checking out your website before we started recording today. I was filling her in a little bit on your story. I can't wait for you to share it with our listeners. And something I also just want to thank you for is how patient and communicative you have been um, in just getting this process started with me. It's been so crazy just, you know, launching my podcast and learning everything. I have no idea what I'm doing and just (laughs) trying to learn from people like you who also have podcasts. So thank you so much for your patience. So grateful to have you on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. It's really my pleasure. And I, I figured everything would work out perfectly. So it's great. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. And then your husband too. I'm so excited to talk more about him. He is so sweet. Just coming on real quick and, you know, making sure you have everything you need. I'm like, oh my God, I cannot wait to learn how she landed someone so sweet and how I can do that. He is so sweet. He's, uh, he's the absolute best. He's so supportive and so helpful. Aww. And I would not figure out any tech stuff without him. <laughs> Well, let's start a little bit by just turning it to you. So if you would, tell us about you, about your business, why you got it started, and how you decided that manifesting everything in your life would kind of also translate over into your love life. Absolutely. So I was working as a coach. I was working as a coach, and I was really focusing on career, helping people with their careers. I mean, if we go real far back, I'm actually a lawyer also, but (laughs) I didn't stick with that for very long. It wasn't quite right for me. But after practicing law briefly, I moved into career coaching. And if I'm being honest, I always wanted to be like a dating love relationship teacher, coach. I don't know. It's always like what I was obsessed with. You know, from the time that I was pretty young, like 
I was always the person who was reading the books about, you know, dating and men and just trying to understand things. It was definitely what I was most interested in. And I did what a lot of people do. You know, when I left law and I made a transition, I moved into what I call like a shadow career, meaning that it was a lot closer to what I actually wanted in some ways, but like it wasn't quite it because it's like I was helping people with careers when my passion is really relationships, right? So, you know, and there's various reasons that people do this. For me, it was that I did not have like the certainty in myself. I didn't have the confidence that I could actually do what I really truly wanted. And I wasn't in the relationship that I wanted to be. Like I just felt like I didn't have the credibility to be advising people on dating, even though like I was, you know, I was always the person like helping my friends and like I helped girlfriends get married and I was still single. Um, but anyway, it was like I, I manifested my husband and we can talk about that, but I called in this person very, very deliberately and we had, you know, we have a really incredible relationship and we got married. And so about a year and a half, two years ago, I was on a retreat and it was with other women who have businesses. And it was really funny because when I was at this retreat, the women just called me out and they're basically like, Crystal, we don't understand why you're not like a dating coach. Like <laughs> you make like even one of the girls who was married was like, you make me want to date. Like you make it sound so fun. Like Aww. I want to manifest someone. I know. And so they were just like, you don't have an excuse now. Like you're married. And I was like, that's true. I really don't. And so I was just like, you know what? There's nothing holding me back. My husband was really supportive. So I was like, I'm just going to try something. And so basically I put together a, a free five-day challenge. I still run challenges, but I put together a challenge. I put together a course and I was just like, let's see if people are interested. And I got a bunch of people signed up for my paid program. So I was like, I guess I can actually do this. And so that's what, you know, that was sort of a long way of saying my journey into actually doing the dating and relationship coaching. And so I did the dating coaching with career coaching for a little bit. And then I committed to what I actually love. And so here I am, really focused on, you know, helping women, helping single women call in happy, healthy, loving, committed relationships. I love it. I have like, you can't see obviously, but I have the biggest smile on my face with Jordan because I just think that that's so cool. And, you know, I wanted to have you on the show because it's just, it's the most relatable thing ever. You know, women who, you know, we have other great things in our lives and we just, we're not seeming to click in the love department. And, you know, I think that that's something that most people just as humans want so badly. We, you know, we want to connect and we want to give love and receive love. And um, I'm just, I'm really excited to dive in here. So let's talk a little bit more about manifestation. You, based on your website, I can see that you um, were manifesting other things in your life. So you had your career, your schooling, um, you know, a lot of other great things going on but you hadn't yet manifested your husband. What kind of shifted in your, in your brain um, to kind of realize that you could do that too? And how did you go about doing that? Oh, such a great question. I love the way that you phrase that. And it's really interesting because the way that I almost think about my other accomplishments is probably the way a lot of you know, other women, like a lot of your listeners probably think about it as well, which is like, I wasn't even thinking about the fact that I had manifested my career or 
getting into the schools that I wanted or anything like that because it didn't feel like it was that much work. It was like, I want it. I got it. You know, like Ariana Grande says, like, <laughs> right, right. I got it. And the, the, the man was the thing that felt like a struggle because it was something I was actively doing. Like I was dating a ton. Like I didn't have a problem dating. It was just like finding someone where it would really stick. And I went through a relationship. I went through a breakup really that just knocked me, knocked me on my bottom. And I was just like, I need to take a, a little bit of time and figure out what's going on. And so I did what I call like a dating detox. And basically I was just like, for the next six months, I am not dating. I am just focusing on myself and I'm going to figure out like, what is going on? Why am I creating the same patterns? Why do I keep ending up with not the same guy, but like the same guy? Like, <laughs> why am I always ending up in the same position and just not, you know, cause it felt like the search the search for my person started to feel a little bit frantic. I was just like, where is he already? You know? Right. So I took a step back and I just really turned inwards. And I started by just asking myself, where am I? You know, what are these patterns that I'm creating and where are they coming from? And when I work with clients and students, that is the first thing that we do. It's like now I refer to it as your love blueprint, which is basically just looking at all of your thoughts, your beliefs, your patterns, all of those things that you're sort of creating in your life subconsciously as it relates to men and love and dating and relationships and and seeing what's there and seeing, you know, what my patterns were. It's very rare that I meet a woman where she's experiencing massively different things all the time. There's usually a common thread throughout the people that she dates, throughout the various relationships. And my pattern was I was really attracted to men that were emotionally available to me. And I really had to retrain myself. Like I just never felt a click with people that were emotionally available. Like if I wanted fireworks, if I wanted that chemistry, if I wanted to feel like crazy about someone, it had to be that he wasn't emotionally available. And I was just willing to take responsibility for that. And instead of continuing to say, you know, good guys are boring. Cause that's what I had. Whenever I met someone who was just really solid, really liked me, really wanted to show up for me, super consistent. I was just like, yeah, he's great in a lot of ways. He's just kind of boring. I don't really like him. I don't feel anything. And that was my mantra. I met plenty of guys that were wild about me and it just didn't feel like anything to me. And so I stopped using that as like a default. I was like, I was making myself a victim of my own attraction. You know, I can't help who I'm attracted to. Like, I can't help it. That's just how I feel. And I was just like, no, I am not a victim to my attraction. I am not a victim to chemistry. I am going to take complete responsibility for the way that men are showing up for me, for the way that my relations are showing up. I am taking responsibility. And it wasn't an easy point to get to, but honestly, it came down to a decision. I just decided, I was like, I want something different to occur. So I'm going to be different. I'm going to approach things differently because I'm the only thing that's in all of these relationships, right? Like, it's right. Me. Like you're the common denominator. Right. And so if I want something to be different, I'm going to be different. And so that was really sort of where I started and just working through all of the stuff around that. So I took this six-month dating detox, and then going into the start of the next year, I declared it the year of the man. I was just like, I am calling in my person this year. I know I'm going to do it, 
And I was just very willing to do what it took. And so for me, that looked like really listening to my intuition. And sometimes my led me to do things that I was just like, I don't know if I really want to do that. So one of the biggest ones was I was living in LA at the time and I was very happy in LA. Like I loved LA. I felt like I had a great community. I had a lot of friends. I had, you know, whatever. I loved LA. And my intuition kept telling me, move to New York. And I was just like, nah, I don't want to do that. <laughs> and I tried to put it off. But then it was just like, you know what? I said that this was the year of the man, that I was going to follow my intuition, that I was going to do what it takes. And so if that means move, I'm going to move. That was obviously a big change. Not everyone is going to be guided to do such big things. But that was one for me. You know, I went to things sometimes when I didn't feel like it. You know, if I said I was going to go to some singles mixer and then I didn't feel like it, no, I didn't just say I don't feel like it. I'm committed to this. So if I'm committed, what does that mean? It means that I do the things that I'm led to do even when they don't always feel good or when I don't always want to in the moment. So I just became really active. And I also really started looking for what I wanted to see. So I knew the qualities that I wanted in a partner. I wanted someone who was kind and loving and committed and who wanted to be in a relationship and who wanted to be a husband and who had the same values as I did and who I could have fun with and someone who would like look after me and make me laugh and do fun things with me and like explore the world with me. Like I knew what I wanted. And so I stopped buying into all of the stories that said that I couldn't have it or that it didn't exist. So all of this stuff about you know, there are no more good men or all the good men are already taken or, you know, guys who date online just want to sleep with you or any of that stuff. All of those stories that so many women tell, um, I stopped telling them. I stopped telling those stories. I stopped. And when I say telling those stories, I mean, I stopped even thinking those thoughts. If I started thinking that I would catch myself and this was a lot of work. It's like I became vigilant with my thoughts, like in my own mind. It was just like, no, stop that. That's not true. And then looking for what I wanted to see. So, you know, if I was at work and one of my male coworkers carried a box to me, I was like, oh, there's evidence that men are helpful. Men want to help me. Men love serving me. Men like making my life easier. You know, if I was walking into the mall and some man held the door for me, I was like, oh my gosh, there's such pleasant, kind men everywhere I go. You know, if some cute guy smiled at me in the grocery store, it was just like, oh my gosh, there's handsome men everywhere. Like I was just really intensely looking for what I wanted to see. And the things that didn't support what I wanted to see, I stopped seeing them. Like I stopped trying to see them. And really quickly, I noticed as the evidence in my life started showing up where it's like all of a sudden the way that guys were dating me was very different. You know, I met guys and I would have dates, but you know, maybe something got awkward on the date or they would say something that I felt was inappropriate or they would want to split the bill, things like that. You know, and as I was looking for the evidence of what I wanted to experience, all of those things just sort of fell away. You know, men always wanted to pay for me. They would take me on interesting dates. You know, they wanted to take me to baseball games or they would remember a comment that I made and they would take me to a museum exhibit that was relevant. Like I started noticing all of these things. Um, really just starting to shift. 
And I took all of those things as signs and also the bad things. Like I took everything that happened as a sign that what I wanted was getting closer, that it was everything was getting closer. So, you know, when it was good, great. This means that it's getting closer. If a guy took me on an awesome date, I was like, yes, this is amazing. Of course he took me on a great date. And if someone blew me off, I was like, yes, this guy blew me off. Perfect. I don't have to waste my time on a date with this guy who's not my person. Oh, this guy that I really liked didn't call. Perfect. He's not my person. I don't have to spend time falling in love with him and having my heart totally broken. Oh, I just got my heart broken. Great. Now it gets to grow back together even stronger as I heal and like become more ready for my person. I interpreted everything to mean that my person was getting closer and I was totally detached, meaning that I was so certain. I created the certainty within myself. I became absolutely certain that I was going to get the love that I wanted. Like no one could convince me that I was not going to meet my person. But I didn't care who it was. So when I went out with a guy that I really, really liked, it wasn't like, oh, he needs to be it. I really liked him. We're so connected. Or what if he doesn't call? Like there was none of that. It was always just like, wow, this was a great guy. I wonder what's going to happen next. Oh, he's calling me. He wants to go out again. Awesome. Let's see what happens next. Oh, he hasn't called in three days. Okay, let's see who's next. And it was like this very detached energy that made it so easy. And it made it so that even when I met my amazing husband, there was no, like, it needs to be him. There was there was none of that. And it, it was incredible because it gave him the space to really pursue me, to really step up as a man, because that's what men want to do. Like they want to be able to pursue a woman that they're really interested, to show their interest, to show their care, to like step up, to step up into like their next level, but also for you. And so he had the space to do that, um, which allowed our relationship to unfold just really beautifully and naturally um, without any pressure or red flags or anything like that. So it was a very okay. long answer. <laughs> no, but it was the best because those are things that honestly I'm I'm trying to do a lot of those things consciously right now in my life. So it was great to hear like that those affirmations. Like one thing for example that I've been doing a lot lately is saying that I'm getting closer. So anytime, you know, it doesn't work out with a guy or I decide, you know, eh, maybe I actually don't want to go on this a date with this guy on this dating app. I just think of it as my person is one day closer or one guy closer or whatever. So that's something that I've been doing. Um, okay. But something that I have not been doing that you said that I'm really glad that you said is just kind of viewing everything as a positive experience. So in, I do a lot of woe is me and I'm working on that. But a lot of times, you know, when a guy doesn't like me that I really like or when somebody says something inappropriate to me or whatever, I just get down in the dumps about it. But your mindset of, oh, perfect, great, I don't have to waste my time or I don't have to, you know, deal with this since I don't want to or I'm closer to my person. That is something I'm definitely going to try to implement in my own life. And I think it's just, you know, you're such a testament to thoughts become things. Um, and that's, that's really cool. So that's something I'm definitely going to try to implement in my life. Yeah. So can I make a, I want to make a comment about what you said about the one day closer. Yeah, please do. Um, because that is the language that I use because I feel like that is like a good way of sort of introducing this concept about like, he's getting closer, he's getting closer, he's getting closer. But the truth is 
that a really big shift that I experienced was going from he's getting closer, because I did think that for a while, to no longer saying he's getting closer, but like he's here. I just don't see him yet. He's here. I just don't see him yet. Okay. Because when we're saying it's getting closer, it's getting closer. He's just one day away. It's perpetually going to be closer, but not quite there. Okay. So how did you get to that, um, that new way of thinking? So I will tell you, I went to a seminar in North Carolina with a, um, with a coach and it was a, it was a pretty big seminar. There's probably like 300 entrepreneurs there. And it was really about business. It is, it's a man who teaches sort of like law of attraction and manifestation specifically in your business. And so I'm at this event. It was really valuable for me. And he was doing hot seat coaching. So throughout the three days, there was opportunities to go up to the microphone and just get some coaching from him. And I was really hesitating. I was just like, I don't know if I'm going to get in front of like up in front of all these people. And the third day rolls around. And I just said to myself, Crystal, you need to go do this. Like you came all the way here, get some coaching from this person. So I have my little notebook and I have my question written down about something I wanted to implement in my business. And I go up to the microphone and that is so not what came out. (laughs) And instead I ended up asking him, or I guess just sort of saying to him, what I really want is a loving relationship with like my person. And I don't understand why it's not working out for me. And I was sort of in shock at myself because it felt very vulnerable and I could hear my voice shaking and like all these eyeballs on me. And that's what he said to me. He said, he's here. You just don't see him yet. And I took it literally for a minute. I'm like looking around the room. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, is there someone you want to introduce me to? Like, what does that mean? And he just said, he's here. You just don't see him yet. And for a moment, I was frustrated and I just didn't understand what that meant. But then I kept repeating it to myself. So over the next few days, I kept saying that he's here. I just don't see him yet. He's here. I just don't see him yet. He's here. I just don't see him yet. And it started to really sink in. So when people talk about manifestation, we talk often about the law of attraction, right? The law of attraction, this idea that like attracts like. If you want something, you can vibrate it into your existence through your thoughts. Okay. So manifestation isn't just about law of attraction. That's sort of the favored, you know, the golden boy. But this other idea, this other concept, this other universal law that fits in really closely with it is the law of polarity. And so the law of polarity basically tells us that if something is present, the opposite is also present. And it's always just about your awareness. So your awareness is on what's in front of you. So for example, if you're looking at a piece of paper, if you're looking at a piece of paper and it has writing on one side and the other side is blank, the writing is present, but the law of polarity says that the blank side is also present. It's just your focus is on the side with the writing. So if you turn it over, Now, your awareness is on the side without the writing. But the writing is still present. It's just not what's in your awareness. And so it's the same thing with the law of polarity. If you have the desire for something, 
what you are aware of, what you are noticing is lack of thing that I want. But thing that I want is also present. So if I'm focused on lack of husband, then husband is also present. It's just not where my awareness is. I love that. Yeah. It's that's really, like really something that's blowing my mind. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this is all new to me. I'm like, you know, you say that you went on the dating detox or whatever you called it for six months. Mine's been about almost two years. Um, not, I'm honestly not quite. I've definitely had people that I've dated a little bit in that time, but not really. Like I've been single for two years. Um, and it's, it's definitely so helpful to me to hear from people like you um, just what it is that I can do within myself. Because like I said, a lot of it, you know, is, you know, I've had this woe is me mindset and feeling like, you know, a place of fear and a place of lack. And to be able to understand that I have power within me to kind of, you know, learn about my patterns and my behaviors and um, my traumas and just shift my way of thinking of what I can do to take control of the situation, that's really empowering and that really gives me hope. Um, so I think this is super, super important stuff. Oh, I'm so happy. Good. Good. So how did you end up meeting your husband? We met through a dating app. And, you know, I kind of, I, I kind of love it because now that I'm doing this work, it's like, I can see why I had to meet my husband through a dating app. Cause it's like, I went through all of it. Like I get it. Like, I know how frustrating it can be swiping, but we met on an app. I swiped right on him. Um, and yeah, we met for, we met for, we met for breakfast. So actually when I met him, um, he was not living in the same place that I was. He had flown in for his cousin's wedding. Okay. And so as we were talking, he, so it's like we had set a date. We were going to meet up for drinks on a Thursday night. <clears throat> and then as we're talking, he sort of mentions like, oh, I just came in for my cousin's wedding. I don't live in the city. And I was just like, oh, okay. So this guy's probably just looking for something casual or like looking to hook up. And that's so not what I'm about. So I canceled on him. And he sort of followed up with me and was just like, I would like, like to meet. And so this is another thing where it's like, just following intuition because I agreed to go out with him. And normally I wouldn't have, I would have just said, this isn't a fit. But for some reason, I felt inspired to actually meet him. So I said to him, I have a meeting at 7 a.m. I can meet you for breakfast at 8 after if you'd like. And I was sort of not testing him because I didn't really care what the outcome was. But he totally called my bluff. And so we met for breakfast and we had a really good time. And he asked if I wanted to do something else. So we went down the block. You know, we walked a couple of blocks and we went to another place for, you know, brunch. We hung out for a few hours. Um, and we started having mimosas and we took a couple of shots. It became very, uh, relaxed, I guess. And so by three o'clock in the afternoon, I was just like, this is so not how I normally am, but like, I need to go home and like take a nap. <laughs> I was just, I was just like, this is ridiculous. Um, so I went home for a few hours and sort of slept it off. 
And then he called and asked to see me for dinner. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And so we went out for dinner. And then I saw him a couple of a couple more times before um, before he left. And we sort of kept talking. He kept calling me. He kept calling me after he went home. And I didn't blow him off, but I was just sort of like, I don't understand why you're calling. Like, I did not see how he could be my person. I didn't. I had just moved to New York. I mean, I got to New York, I think, in May. And so we're talking about August now. And so I was not up for another move. Like, I just, I didn't see how it was going to be. But he kept calling. He really was keeping the conversation open. And I was talking to him on FaceTime one day. And when we were on the phone, he was just like, you really don't seem like yourself. And I started crying. And I was just like, I really don't feel good. And, you know, I was like, I was living in a new city. I didn't know that many people. I just felt like no one's taking care of me. I really don't feel well. So I'm like crying on the phone with him. And we hang up the phone. And an hour later, I have a knock on my door. And he had ordered me chicken noodle soup from some restaurant in my neighborhood and had it delivered to my apartment. That is so sweet. <laughs> it was really cute. And so he had kept saying to me, like, how can I get you to come visit me? And I was just like, I don't know. I'm not like I'm not traveling right now. Like I just got here. I'm staying where I am. I'm not spending the money on it, whatever. So I was on the phone with my mom, actually. And I'm, I had mentioned him when we first met because I saw him a couple of times and, you know, we had a good vibe or whatever. And so I sort of casually mentioned to my mom, you know, after I was sick and, oh, this guy that I had mentioned, he, he sent me soup. And she was like, <gasps> Crystal. And I was like, what? <laughs> what is it? And she was like, you need to go see him. And I was like, really? She's like, yes. That like she's like, that is something she was like, I have been around for a long time. And like that, that is something like this guy is trying to take care of you. Like you need to like learn more about him and see what his deal was. And so, I mean, the rest is sort of history. He flew me to see him. And after that, it was like I sort of knew like we spent five days together and we just got really close and he introduced me to his family. And yeah, the rest is history, really. We dated wow. for a couple more months, but we got engaged in January. So from we met August 25th, and then we were like dating boyfriend and girlfriend in October, and then we got engaged in January. And then our wedding was the following June. So it was 10 months from like that. It was less than 10 months from the day that we met till the day that we were married. Wow. What was it that kind of allowed you to – um, to see what your mom saw. So when your mom was like, oh my gosh, Crystal, that like, this is a guy worth pursuing, worth exploring, you know, worth giving a chance to what made you kind of realize like, maybe this is what I've, you know, been looking for all along. It was just, it gave me the willingness to actually allow him to like continue the pursuit. Like he had already offered to fly me to come visit with him. And I just didn't like, not that I felt resistance per se, but it just felt a little bit different to me. And it probably did have to do with receiving. Like, um, you know, and a lot of women struggle with this is like, it feels uncomfortable to receive or you think like, do I really deserve this? Am I worthy of this? 
And I think that's a little bit of what was coming up. So it wasn't that I thought he was the one after my mom said that, but after I said, okay, if you want to see me, I will come see you. And he flew me to visit him. And then we spent all this time together and we really got close. But I'll tell you, even after, so we had those five days together. They were really, it was a really nice, like we just spent a lot of time together. And I knew, like I could tell he, um, was feeling something strongly towards me because he took me to his parents' home um, and I spent a couple of days with them and like he had never brought a girl home for any reason and he like introduced me to all his friends. Like we went on a camping trip with all of his friends and you know, his friends were also telling me like we haven't, like he hasn't brought, you know, girlfriends, let alone girls that he's just interested in, like that he's not even in a relationship with. And so I knew that he was feeling something pretty strongly towards me. But I wrote, even in my journal on my flight home, I was just like, I had a pretty epic time with this man. Like, he's amazing. And I don't know if I'm ever going to see him again. I still didn't know how it was going to work. And when I got home, he asked me to be in a relationship. He said, I don't want to see anyone else. I would love if you only wanted to date me. Like, I, I want you to be my girlfriend. And I turned him down, not because I didn't like him, but I was still dating several other people. You know, I always tell people like you date with a rotation. Like if you're serious about meeting someone, you have a rotation. Like you actually just date. Women don't date, right? Like when we meet someone, we want to have a connection immediately. And it doesn't work out that well often. Sometimes it does, but often it doesn't. So I was dating a couple of other guys And I was just like, I don't know when I'm going to see you again. So he was like, well, what if I come back to New York in a month, basically? (laughs) Or it was like three weeks from then. And so I said, if I knew you were coming to New York in a couple of weeks, then yes, I would be your girlfriend. But only after I like break up with all these other guys I'm seeing. (laughs) So it was like a few days later and we had the whole talk about the, you know, the state of the union and he booked booked a ticket to come back to see me. And so after that, we were, we became very, it was easy to become close and to really get to know each other. We were committed. I knew that we had sort of similar goals and similar values and we wanted the same thing. So yeah, that was pretty much it. (laughs) That's amazing. You guys are so cute. I guess we only saw you interact for like 15 seconds, but you are so precious. And I literally, I I saw you guys interacting and I was like, wow, he loves her. Like, I want that, you know, I don't, I don't even know him and I could just see it, you know, in the way he was, you know, being helpful for you and, um, being sweet. And you mentioned something that I want to piggyback on. You mentioned, uh, receiving. So I took your love quiz. I told you my results, um, for all of our listeners, Crystal has a really cool love quiz on her website and I would definitely recommend it. I actually already gave it to a couple of my friends. Um, and we've been talking about our results back and forth. And it, what's really cool about this quiz is I think most quizzes that we take, you know, they just kind of give us like a couple blurbs, um, you know, maybe a paragraph if we're lucky, but Crystal's quiz gives you pages. I mean, I'm, I'm reading, I'm scrolling, I'm like, you know, analyzing, seeing all these things. And I'm like, this is it. Like a huge light bulb went off for me, Crystal. And I'm going to tell you why. So I got the giver. That's, that's the type of, um, what do you want to call it? 
uh, lover I am. Is that right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I like that. Right? Um, and here's why I never realized that was a problem. So I've known for, I guess, what, about two years now that I've had a codependency problem and have been working with, um, or was in the past working with a relationship coach who specialized in recovery from narcissistic abuse. And I've learned a lot through that. But what I didn't realize is that my giving also kind of comes from a place of fear. And it made me realize that there were so many like little flashbacks I was having about my dating life that were just overcompensating for something or giving people so much before they've really earned it or before they even want it. Um, and like, here's a couple examples. There was the last guy that I dated. We were never like, I didn't sleep with him, but we were at his house in his room, um, just kind of hanging out and kissing. And I noticed that he knocked over a huge like bottle of red wine all over his white carpet to which I just jump up and I'm like, Oh my God, like you, like your carpet is going to be stained. And then I just get up and I just start cleaning everything until it's spotless. And, and he was like, Oh yeah, I noticed it. I didn't care. So why did I care? You know, but I, I just felt like I had to clean up after him. And then, you know, of course the next morning I, before I leave, I make his bed, I rinse the wine glasses, I pick up his clothes that he put next to the hamper and put them in the hamper and leave a sweet note. And like, that's how I do things. Or, you know, I think about a guy that I dated, I actually dated this guy twice. I dated him very briefly in high school. And then again, several years later when I was in college and when we were long distance, I would send him little notes. You know, I would send him like fun, cool cards. And I sent him a book that, that he mentioned that he wanted one time. And, um, you know, I, I would just like, I was giving him so many gifts and I was like, in his words, kind of smothering him, I guess, with things that he didn't ask for. And, you know, it all comes from a place of, I, I'm, I'm very well aware of love language at this point. Um, my number one love language is actually words of affirmation, but I feel like I just overcompensate so much by taking all of the love languages, giving them to anyone that I'm dating as much as I can, because I so badly want somebody who's going to do that for me and, you know, just do all of these things for me. And I never realized that that was a problem until I read your quiz. So I love if you can kind of give your take on that. Um, that was just, that was so eye-opening for me. Wow. Oh my gosh. So good. And you're so not alone in that. So yeah, I mean, I'll tell you most of the women that end up joining my programs as like my students or clients, they're usually either the, I don't want to give away all the types, so I won't say them all, but they're often sure. the giver or the romantic. Those would be the ones who are most commonly who come into my world. There's a couple of other types as well. So everyone should take the quiz and find out what your type is. But yeah. I mean, the giver is always the one that's just like, I describe it. It's just like, you're doing too much. Like you're just doing too much. And it's a really, the problem is everybody has, or this isn't a problem. This is just how you can think about this. Everybody has masculine and feminine energy within them, right? We, we know that like everybody has masculine and feminine energy and masculine energy is giving energy and feminine energy is the receiving energy. So when I talked about having a little bit of a receiving problem, so here's what happens with a lot of women is that 
they are so unable to receive. There's some sort of fear or anxiety or resistance around their own feminine that they're fully unable to receive. And they take it to this extreme where they're just like, well, I'm not going to accept anything, but I'm going to do everything. And it's, of course, just coming from a place of wanting someone to love you. It's really interesting how these things play out in a couple of different ways, because it's like an unwillingness to receive. It's giving too much, but it's coming from a place of wanting to get. It's coming from this getting energy. And you know, this is applies on like an energetic level with manifestation and also on a practical level. So on that practical level, you know, it's like you were saying where it's like this guy ends up feeling smothered. They don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It's like overwhelming. You think you're being nice and they feel like you're trying to control me. You're trying to be my mom. You're doing too much. But on the energetic level, so that's like on the practical level, on that energetic level, it's really coming from this place of trying to get. How can I get him to appreciate me? How can I get him to love me? How can I get him to see me? How can I get him to tell me how beautiful I am, how special I am? The words of affirmation, I get that. Words of affirmation is also my primary love language. And so it's like, you'll do so much for that validation because you're not giving it to yourself, right? So it's like, we're looking for something that only we can ultimately provide from someone outside of ourselves. It's an interesting paradox that if you want to be really magnetic, that you have to hold in your energy. So here's this paradox. On the one hand, it's that you have to say and you have to know and feel and believe, I am amazing. You should be so lucky to be in my presence because I am an absolute catch. Look at all that I have going for me and not based on what's external to me, but like look at my energy, look at my personality, look at who I am as a person. I know what I value. I know what I stand for. I am an absolute queen. Like you should be so lucky to be in my presence. So it's like, you have to hold that energy where it's like, I don't need anyone to validate me or approve of me. I approve of me. I love me. You want an amazing girlfriend? Let's see if I would be even open to that. For now, I'm my own girlfriend and I'm the best girlfriend anyone could ever possibly having. Like, look at the things I do for myself, the way that I treat myself. So it's like you're holding that. But then also at the same time, holding this energy of no one owes me anything. I do not expect anyone else to fulfill me, to validate me, to approve of me. Like I have no expectations. You don't want to call after our second date to tell me anything? Cool. You don't owe me anything. You told me that you really liked me and now you change your mind. You don't want to go anymore? Cool. You don't owe me anything. Like no one owes me anything. I'm not entitled to anything. Right. I like give myself everything I need. So it's like really holding, holding that sort of energy and it, when you do that, there's no room for this getting energy. Because here's what I can tell you. Men can feel when you are trying to get something for them. You know, I think women like to play it off like as if men are dense or they can't feel things. No, men are sensitive and they're energetic just as much as we are. They might hide it better. They may not reciprocate as easily as we do. And the reason for that is that men are more judicious with their resources than women are. So whereas a woman might be like, oh my gosh, I love this guy after a second date, a guy's not going to do that. He, men know what's at stake if they really love someone. Like they know. And 
it's not a negative thing, but it can be intense for them because a man who really loves a woman, he is going to give all of his time, all of his money, all of his attention, all of his resources to this one person. It's a lot. It's very scary for them when you think about it that way. And they're going to do it generously and willingly and happily when it's the right person, but they don't want to do it willy nilly. So they are not going to start giving everything to someone they don't know. They're like, let me wait and see, is this actually someone that I would feel okay? Like, is it going to be worth it to me if this is the person that I have to give everything to? You see what I'm saying? When women don't do that, we're like trying to get it from anyone. If you're coming from an insecure place, if you're coming from an insecure place, it's just like, I'll take love from anywhere I can possibly get it. And where you're going to get it is from these low quality men. Why? Because they want to make as little effort as possible. A low quality man doesn't want to do anything. Of course, he's going to want a woman who does everything. Someone who demands nothing of him. He's like, I can call, like, I can see you once a week. We can hook up. I don't have to take you on dates. I don't have to follow up with you. I don't have to commit to you. I don't have to provide anything for you. Great. I'm going to provide as little as possible and you're going to happily accept my crumbs. Cool. Those are the kind of men that you're going to attract when you have these low standards, when you're just giving everything. And that's the thing. I'm so glad you brought up the insecurities. Something I wanted to ask you about. So something that I'm struggling with is that lately I I struggle to feel like I'm worthy of love because I have some insecurities that are holding me back from feeling confident in this place of life. So I'm really confident about my career. I'm confident about my podcast. I've been losing weight. I've been saving money. Uh, you know, traveling a lot. My friendships feel really good right now. And I'm really happy about the work I'm doing emotionally and, you know, just stuff within myself. But I'm so insecure um, about living with my parents because I feel like it kind of makes it awkward to date since I live with my parents. And I'm also a little insecure about my body, even though I've made so much progress in getting healthier physically and just also loving and embracing myself. But I have a lot of work to do on my intimacy issues, which that's another topic for another episode. But ultimately, it puts me in this place of like, okay, so when I move out and have a place of my own again, and when I lose weight and feel hot again, I'll be worthy of love or I'll attract someone I actually want to attract. And I just, you know, I want to snap out of that. And I, you know, I don't know if that's normal or, you know, really unhealthy. And it used to kind of come from a place of like my career. So now I'm like, okay, I've checked that. Like, I'm like, great. I've like, you know, I've launched that po- my podcast, which is something that was huge that I wanted to do. I've, you know, been at one job I, I currently have for three years and the other for two years. And, you know, I'm doing great at both of those jobs. Check, you know, feel good about my money. Check. But it's also like, it's almost never enough. And I feel like I need to get to a place where like, do I need to solve those things before I start dating intentionally? Or do I need to let them go and just date intentionally anyway? Oh my gosh, such a good question. I love the examples that you gave because nothing that you mentioned, none of those examples, your money, your weight, your career, your podcast, where you live, none of that actually matters when it comes to attracting men, when it comes to attracting even high quality, masculine energy, king like men. It's not what matters. Right. The only thing that ever is really going to matter, the only thing that is going to make any man choose a woman is the energy that he feels with her. It goes both ways though, because 
what a lot of women do is they're very proud of their accomplishments, right? And they're just like, I don't understand why I can't find a great guy. Like I have this great career and like, look at my fancy car and like I have all these things going for me. And it's like, yeah, you have those things going for you, but like most women do. None of that is what is actually separating you. None of that is what makes you interesting or different or is going to make a man fall in love with you. A man is going to fall in love with a woman who is a multimillionaire just as easily as he'll fall in love with a woman who is absolutely broke because that's not what matters. And it's like the same thing with living at home. Like it's not what matters to them. You feeling worthy of love, you feeling sure of yourself, you saying, I know who I am and it's pretty awesome. That's the only thing that he is going to really be looking for and feeling. And what will happen is when we have a particular thing that we feel insecure about or worried about, we start projecting that. Totally. Yeah. Right. So it's like, that's when you start meeting and you'll have three guys in a row be like, oh, you live with your parents. That's kind of weird, you know? And it's like, as soon as it's a non-issue for you, they're like, oh, that's smart. Save up some money. Yeah. Like I feel like my well, they come from a couple places, but some of the intimacy issues that I have now, which I never used to have intimacy issues, part of that comes from, I have this thing in my head where um, I literally don't believe that there's a man out there who won't cheat on me because I've been cheated on in every single relationship that I've ever had. And again, that's like, you know, a whole other issue. Um, but it's it sucks because I'm like, I want so badly to be able to, um, you know, feel confident and, and, you know, just like embrace life and love. But that is, that lingers. Oh my gosh. So can I coach you a little? Can we do like a little exercise? Yeah, please. (laughs) Okay, cool. So this will be great. Your listeners will love this because they can do it along with you. So just go ahead and uncross your arms and legs and put both feet flat on the floor. Okay. And I want you to just close your eyes for a minute and take a couple of breaths in through your nose and out through your mouth. So I want you to imagine that there is a cord that is extending from the bottom of your spine. And I want you to imagine this cord just moving down through the floor, all the way into the ground, and into the center of the earth. And once it reaches the center of the earth, I want you to feel that place that is just so warm and loving and safe. And I want you to imagine that warm, loving, safe light, that energy in the center of the earth. Just imagine it sort of bouncing back up that cord. Moving up through the floor and through the ground, through the bottom of your spine, and in through your body. And I want you to feel now as that energy moves down through your legs. Feel it move up through your waist and your hips and up through your chest, through your shoulders and down through your arms and the tips of your fingers and up through the top of your head. And I want you to feel that light continue moving all the way up about 300 feet to where you can see, sense, or feel a light from above. It's just this bright, white, loving light. And I want you to feel that light. Now move back down through that cord into the top of your head. 
Uh, down through your neck, through your shoulders and arms, through your chest, down through your stomach, through your waist, through your hips, down through your legs, and down through the bottom of your feet. And I want you to feel where those two lights, that light from below, which is keeping you so safe and grounded, and I want you to feel that light from above, which is so loving and bright and light. And I want you to just feel where they meet right in the center of your heart. And ask that light to expand all the way through the room that you're in. And expand it out all the way through the city you're in. Expand it all the way through the country. And feel that light expand all the way around the world. And I want you to now call in the energy of your person. So don't give him a face or a body. I just want you to feel that energy of this wonderful, wonderful, incredible person who feels almost like he was just made for you. What color is it? Um, blue. Mmm, like a deep blue or like a bright blue or baby blue? I think like a, uh, like not quite baby blue, but not royal blue, something in between. Okay, so just like a solid blue. Mm -hmm. And then tell me what kind of qualities does that energy have? Um, loyal. Yeah. Maybe um, tranquil and peaceful. Um, kind, yeah, loving, honest, yeah. How does it feel being with that energy? Safe. Yeah. If you knew with a hundred percent certainty that this was possible for you, how would you feel? Relieved, happy, yeah, excited. Yeah. What does that feel like? That feels hopeful. That feels good. Where do you feel that in your body? Um, probably my chest and shoulders. Yeah. What kind of sensation is that? Like a relief. Yeah. Does it feel light or heavy? It feels light. Does it feel expanded or contracted? Um, it feels like a deep breath. Ooh. Ooh, I love that. <laughs> ah, okay, so whenever you feel ready, go ahead and open your eyes and come back to the room. Okay. So this is what you want to start creating for yourself. Okay. Okay. Everything you desire is absolutely possible. There is no, you know, blackboard in the sky that says everyone gets to love except for you. Or, you know, everyone can have happy relationships except for you can only have a cheater. No. When you can start sitting in that feeling of this is what a love feels like, this is what a great relationship would feel like, that can start to become more natural to you. That's how you become attractive. That's how you let the pressure off the men and you start providing yourself with that sense of love. And then the men start coming in that are just reflecting that. It's like you start projecting onto men that lovingness that you're giving yourself and then that's what's showing up. You're projecting this like fear, this men cheat. Men have always cheated on me. And so that's going to keep showing up until you start putting out something else. This is what I mean when I talk about taking complete responsibility. It's like 
the change gets to start in you. And it's like, you have to start believing in it before you see it. And we don't like doing that. We like looking for the evidence first. But if you're looking for the evidence of what's already in your world, you're going to keep getting what's already in your world. If you want something new, you start looking for the evidence before you see it. So when you insist this is possible, this is available, I know what this feels like, that's when it shows up. Wow. I've never... I've never really thought of it like that before. Like I've always, I've heard people say that, but I never quite knew how to tangibly put it into action, if that makes sense. Right. It's just like a little switch that you can flick in your brain where it's like it clicks in a little bit of a different way. And, you know, I I get it. It's like you want to know. I mean, I can tell you for sure it's possible. And you can borrow some of my certainty. All of your listeners can borrow some of my certainty because I <laughs> so believe in love and I so believe in men. And I just don't see limitations to that. And yes, you can borrow some of my certainty, but like the power comes when like you create that on your own. And that's what manifestation is all about. Like when you're manifesting, it's like, I don't see it, but I know it's here. I know it's mine. And like that fear goes away. And I like to use the analogy of like a coffee mug. You know, it's like if you have coffee mugs in your kitchen cabinet, like you know you're there. When you wake up in the morning and you're going to get your coffee or your tea or your lemon water or whatever it is, there's no like, what if my mug's not there? I, I, oh my God, what am I going to do if my mug's not there? Like, how am I going to get a mug? It's like, no, you know the mug is there. That's what certainty feels like. It's just like, I know my mug is there. It's no big deal. If you go to the cabinet and the mug's not there, that's what would be shocking. <laughs> You're like, what's right. going on? You know, it's like, you know what certainty feels like. You just don't know what it's like in this area. And so that little meditation that we just did, that's like giving yourself a whiff of it. Because I'll tell you, I did not have an example of the relationship that I wanted, you know, my parents did not have the relationship that I wanted to create, unfortunately. Some people do see that, but a lot of people don't. And I still had to come up with the certainty and believing it, even though I hadn't witnessed it up close, even though that wasn't what was normal in my world. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too, because um, as we wrap up, I did want to ask for your opinion on something. So I'm very, very lucky to, I'm very fortunate that my parents and both sets of my grandparents um, have showed my siblings and I really beautiful examples of healthy love and marriage. And I know that I'm really fortunate to have that and it has definitely set a very high standard for me. Um, that being said, because of you know my last relationship where I thought I was gonna marry that person um, and it ended up being something incredibly toxic beyond my wildest expectations, I'm, you know, going through this huge spiritual awakening where I'm like, how can I promise to love someone forever if they might turn out to be abusive or toxic or just not conducive to growth and happiness? And then that begs the question, well, is unconditional love even healthy? And on the flip side, is conditional love even love? So I'm like, you know, exploring so much right now in this sphere of love in my head and I, I want to have a safe love and, a, and an unconditional love, but I also want want your take on um, how do you how do you grow together and individually in a healthy way in a marriage when you're really essentially taking a leap of faith? I love that. So first of all, in romantic relationships, we don't love unconditionally. 
And I think that we should take that off the pedestal. Stop even making that something that like we're reaching so hard for. Like there's conditions. I am in a marriage and there are conditions on my marriage. If my husband says, you know, I've actually decided I'd like to have five wives, that is breaking the conditions of our marriage. Okay, if he says, you know, I've always been this gentle, loving man, but all of a sudden I'm going to turn really cruel and I'm going to hit you and I'm going to put you down every day, that's breaking a condition of our marriage. Like marriage, most romantic relationships have conditions. So this idea of unconditional love, it's, I guess you can aspire to it if you want to, but like, I don't see why. I don't think there's problems with conditions. I think outside of like the love that a mother might have for a child, it's not something that we really experience much. And I don't think that that has to be the ideal. You can have deep, wonderful, beautiful, expansive love that has conditions. Like, that's okay. And I think that, you know, with marriage, and I've said this before, it's like I help women with like calling in partners. I love, like, I love being married. I love my marriage. And I don't believe that there's only one person for anyone. You know, and I do think that marriage is a beautiful thing to aspire to. And obviously I married my husband hoping we'll be together forever. But it's like you also want to stay grounded here on planet Earth. And I can look around and see that doesn't happen for a lot of people. And I'm not so superior where I'm going to say, well, you know, I know that my marriage is going to work. Of course, I don't know that. And that didn't stop me from taking the leap of faith. You know, it's like anything else you do in life. You're going to do the absolute best you can. I hope that Kobe and I are married until the day that we both die at, you know, God willing, 120, two days with like, <laughs> within each other. But if not, like, that's okay too. It doesn't have to be this big, horrible thing. I'm sure you have some listeners that are divorced or going through divorces or separated. And it's like, you don't have to be a failure because of that. And you right. can have love again. You know, I always tell, like I, I've said this before, Kobe overheard me say it and I think I get a little bit offended him once because it's just like, I know how to manifest wonderful men now. So it's like, if God forbid something happened to our relationship, I would manifest someone else. Like right. It doesn't have to be this thing where it's like, that's your one and only chance. I also personally did not take a vow that said like to the day I die. You know, I think that People can take some of the pressure off. Like you can go into a marriage and not say like, this has to be until the day that I die. It doesn't work out like that for everyone. Like you do the best that you can. Wow. Well, Crystal, this has been amazing. Um, I just feel so inspired and enlightened right now um, and just excited, you know, excited to kind of just take some of the things I learned today and, um, you know, be intentional about implementing them into my life. And I know that our listeners are going to do the same. One thing that I do like to ask all of my guests at the end of our interviews is for your enough moment. So this is the enough podcast. We explore um, the double meaning of enough. So enough as it pertains to worth, I am enough. And then enough as it pertains to boundaries, I've had enough. And we talk about how you know, the two are so intertwined. And I'd love if you can share a moment where, um, you know, you really felt like you were enough or maybe you, a moment you felt like you weren't enough or a moment where, you you know, you'd had enough and you walked away from something. What's the first thing that comes to mind for you? So what comes to mind for me is sort of that story that I told you a little bit about right at the beginning when I was talking about that relationship that I had gone through where 
it was sort of the same pattern, but this particular breakup right before my dating detox, it felt uh, like it, I don't know, it just felt brutal. I really had had hope that it was going to be different. And when I was driving home from his house after he had dumped me, you know, I was in LA at the time. It was raining. It never rains in LA. So people are driving like crazy. So I pulled over to the side of the road because there's just like, there was too much going on. And I was sitting there crying in my car. And that was very much like, I've had enough of this, of whatever it is that I'm creating, like these sort of unhappy relationships. And I'm going to do something different. So that was like, that's definitely the first thing that comes to mind. And I would say the moment where I realized that like, I am enough probably came pretty shortly after that. Um, you know, I don't remember when exactly, but during that period where I was doing that dating detox, because by the end of it, I was ready to say, I know that I can like call in my person. Like I felt so much more grounded in who I was and you know what I had to offer. So it was somewhere after I had said like enough of this garbage with these guys, like I'm doing something different now. Yeah, that's, that's really good. Um, it's definitely something that kind of comes full circle for me because as you were sharing that story, I kind of had a flashback into my own experience that, you know, was similar in having that moment. And it, you know, it's really kind of just the moment that propels you into better things. Yeah. Segways everything. Well, Crystal, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. I would love if you could kind of just give your business a plug. Um, tell my listeners where they can find you, where they can follow you on social, where they can, you know, go to your website and take that quiz we were talking about um, and all the other things that you have going on. Totally. So you can find me. Everything is with my name. So at Crystal Eram, come find me on Instagram. And then I have a page for your listeners so they can find all my other links so like they can join my Facebook group and, you know, just stay up to date with me. And so if you go to crystalerum.com slash enough, we'll put it in the link. I can't remember if it's enough or enough podcast. Okay. <laughs> and there you can find the quiz that you can take and you'll find the link to my Facebook group. And, you know, you'll just be able to stay up to date with all things men and dating and manifesting and just creating that epic relationship for yourself. That's so cool. I love that. Thank you. Yeah, of course. All right. Well, I am just so grateful to have you on here today. I hope you have a great rest of your day and I can't wait to follow along all the other awesome, amazing things you're going to do in the future. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure. Absolutely. All right. We'll talk soon. Bye, Crystal. Bye. So that was fun. That was interesting and different and cool. So I liked it. That was yeah. definitely <laughs> one of my favorite interviews that we've ever done on the podcast for so many reasons. Like that was so tangible to me. Do you feel that way? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, it's cool because it's like a lot of it kind of come, it seemed like it all came back to a perspective and like yeah. how you view things, whether it be like, I know she's talking about mainly directed towards finding a man, but like in a job, in friendships, like sure. in just in general kind of thing. I feel like she kind of, um, to say called me out is not the term I'm looking for here, but I feel like she kind of, for lack of a better term, called me out on my misunderstanding of the term manifestation. I definitely think of law of attraction because it's not, you know, manifestation is something that I think about like my vision board and law mm -hmm. of attraction. And that's kind of my extent of understanding it. Um, and, her, you know, for her to talk about, what was it, polarity? Yeah. Um, and just all these other things and just, like, 
basically like convincing yourself about certainty and putting out good like positive feelings towards things like that is all those are all things that I'm not currently doing that because I didn't know that that was a part of manifestation well and it's 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 tough to put yourself in that mindset I feel like I don't like I I don't know I feel like I've grown up like always skeptical of myself and like like counting myself out of stuff and it's like it's a tough thing that I've like kind of been working on to be more positive about everything like I have all of this going so it's it's so tough to break yourself of that I don't know I I don't know I guess it's like looking at what you do have as opposed to what you don't kind of thing like yeah yeah you might be at home but like you've got easy because it's comfortable exactly it's It's so much easier to talk down about myself than talk about everything that's good kind of thing right which is sad but it's just you know it's relatable and it's the truth yeah um, I also really appreciate that she did some coaching with me and answered a lot of my questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I have, you know, privately communicated with Crystal about some trauma that I'm not comfortable sharing on the podcast just yet, but that I've experienced in my life where I think um, a lot of my dating patterns stem from those things. Mm-hmm. And she was just, you know, so supportive and really just like gave me some clarity and some new insight, like a new direction. Sometimes that's just what you need. You need somebody to tell you something you haven't heard yet so that it clicks. Yeah. And I think I definitely feel like you won't be alone in thinking and asking a lot of those questions. So that's, I don't know. I feel like it's like really relatable and something that if, if I haven't said it myself, I've heard from a girlfriend of mine or just anyone, or I've like seen someone make a long form Instagram post about it kind of thing right. too. So you're a hundred. I, do I don't want to give alone. out a disclaimer too. Like I'm really happy in my life. Mm-hmm. I am definitely not, I used to be, but I am definitely currently not losing sleep at night, wishing I had someone. I'm not doing that anymore. I haven't done that in a long time. doesn't mean I don't want someone. Enjoy all that extra um, room in your bed. Oh yeah. Enjoy all of that See, space because it doesn't exist anymore. For I me. had to like, <laughs> when I made the shift of like sleeping with someone every night to not anymore, that yeah. was so weird. Yeah. I'd wake up in the night and, and I'd like, you know, I'd like say his name or I'd like reach my hand over and he wasn't there. And, you know, that's something I really had to get used to. But now I'm like, Patrick You're Star. Like, look at all this room I have. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm just like enjoying it. So it's fine. I'm good. Um, I'm happy. It's more than fine. I'm really, really grateful yeah. for all the good things I have going on. That doesn't mean that I don't want to you know, essentially to make this all full circle, receive the love that Crystal has showed me yeah. why I had a hard time receiving it. So right. that, that's where that comes from. But all right, we are going to um, also just talk about a couple things going on in our lives at the end of this episode. Um, we're not going to do a listener question today, and we're not going to do anything too crazy. We're just going to kind of talk about our lives. So what's going on in your world, Jordan? Well, uh, full wedding mode for not myself, but everyone else at yes. this point Likewise. in time. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, having three weddings coming up that I'm all in in a span of a month is fun, along with bridal showers and bachelorettes. But I love all of my brides equally very much, and I'll do everything for them. So it's just, yeah, surviving week to week. And, and one of them is your brother's wedding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My brother is so marrying exciting. this wonderful woman. They met at a Kenny Chesney concert, Aww. so they're hilarious and adorable. Um, yeah, they're getting married on the beach and how we grew up. So why wouldn't he get married on the beach? So I would expect nothing less from him. Yeah, that's awesome. I actually had two friends, well, one cousin and one friend get engaged this past week. And I'm just so happy and excited for everybody around me but it also kind of like makes me realize that we're growing up yeah like sometimes I'll literally be like 
in a t-shirt, face mask, elbow deep in a bag of Cheetos, <laughs> and like my friend calls me and she's like, I'm engaged, and I'm like, like mouth, oh, you're like mouthful, good for you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh shit, right? Um, but yeah, no, I'm so happy for them, and it, and it also just kind of goes to show that like we are all doing the best we can, mm-hmm. you know, we're all, you know, happy for our friends and we're in different places than our friends and our, you know, our friends are in different places than us. And, um, it's cool to watch everything unfold and, you know, everybody kind of just work hard and yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it, I think a, what they want. a lot of that stuff that still goes to like moving at your own pace kind of thing and not comparing yourself to everyone else. Of like, course. yeah, like uh, two really good friends of mine just got engaged and, They've been dating for like six years now or something. And people had like, I got a little upset because people were commenting like, oh, it's about time that you guys got to get. I'm like, hold on. They have a house together. They have a dog together. Yeah, like they're not, like, they're not, to, like, yeah, they're not going away from each other, from each other anytime soon kind of thing. So yeah. like, I'm happy that they're, that they're engaged. Like not, it's about time. It's cool. You guys are at this stage it's now. In your time. Yeah. Your own time. That exactly. feels good. Yeah. But it's cool. It's all um, Something that I realized I need to address on the podcast, the Backstreet Boys. So I really wanted to have Laura back on the show for this episode so that we could debrief the Bachelor stuff together. Um, And also to talk about the Backstreet Boys. I know we were going to recap the Backstreet Boys concert, uh, but she wasn't able to come on, unfortunately. So I just decided that I would do this episode by myself and save the details for when we can have Laura back on. But what I will say is that the concert was amazing. It was so amazing that I almost went back and saw them again on Sunday night. Uh, They were playing in Hershey, Pennsylvania at Hershey Park, which is about two hours away from us. And I had to work on Sunday. I got off at six. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll just go up to Hershey with Laura after work. Well, I decided that it was just going to be too much. I'm really exhausted. I've been spending so much time driving and spending a lot of money. And I decided not to go. I made the very difficult but mature decision to not go. So Laura went without me. She went with a friend. And she texted me later that night saying that the Backstreet Boys played two songs and then had to postpone the rest of the show due to weather. So everyone had to evacuate and it took them like two hours to even get out of the parking lot. So definitely made the right choice and I was happy I didn't have to have FOMO. Oh my gosh. I, oh, that's heartbreaking. Heart To go up and have that happen. Quit playing games with my right. heart. Comes full circle. Right? Full circle. I mean, whoo, that, I'd be so disappointed. All right, does part of you think they're like, Anna's not here, it's just not worth it? I mean, (laughs) truly, Howie looked out into the crowd, he didn't see me. I don't see her. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also just got back from New York. Yes. Speaking of weddings, I went to New York for a wedding. I had such a good time. I mostly just explored by myself throughout the West Village and Chelsea and Tribeca, Uh, and I met up with friends. I met up with Layla, my podcast designer, um, and the wedding was so much fun. My friend Kim was beautiful. She is one of our listeners, and she did something really cool at her wedding that I've never seen before that I wanted to share. She has a lot of siblings and nieces and nephews like I do, and instead of carrying a bouquet down the aisle, she had each of those family members holding a flower, and as she walked down the aisle, she took their flower and gave each of them a hug and kiss. And by the end, as she walked up to Jackson, her now husband, she had a bouquet. 
Um, and it was so touching and I was like sobbing my eyes out. And I think I was crying too uh, because Kim is the reason I went to Ole Miss. She was a year older than me in high school, but we went to rival high schools and we danced against each other. And, you know, we had a mutual friend uh, and she encouraged me to come visit her when I was on my college tours with my dad. And my dad and I just had the best time ever. It's a really magical place to be. It's unlike anything I've ever experienced. And that says a lot because I toured 13 colleges when I was in high school and I visited plenty when I was in college too. Um, basically the entire SEC because I used to visit friends and go to, you know, follow the football team on away games and stuff like that. But in addition to having an amazing time, um, Kim gave me a great piece of advice as I was leaving um, Ole Miss. She said, don't choose the school where you could see yourself. You're a dynamic person. You could fit in anywhere. You can see yourself anywhere. Pick the school where you'd be most sad if you never went back. And it took me a minute, but after a while, I was like, Dad, I think I'd be most sad if I never went back to Ole Miss. I want to go to Ole Miss. And when I was there, obviously, Kim is older than me, and she was also in a different sorority. Um, but she just made me feel so supported, and she showed me the ropes and introduced me to people. And, you know, she'd pick me up and take me places, and we just had the best time in college. And I think I was so emotional at her wedding because it hit me, like, what an important part of my life she is. Like, she's the reason I took this huge leap of faith in moving a thousand miles away at 18 years old. Uh, and just so much of the way my life turned out is because of the opportunities I was fortunate enough to have at that school. So I'm just really happy for her and really grateful for her. And it was amazing to watch her marry a really great guy. Nice. Yeah. That's outstanding. Yeah. Like, it was really special. So thank you for bringing Anna to us, Kim. We very much yes. appreciate you. <laughs> And then um, lastly, before we do our closer, I did want to tell a little story about a boundary I just recently set in a dating app. So the other night I was in my CBD bath. I buy bath bombs and filtrate it with CBD oil. It's relaxing. And I was on Hinge and this guy asked me for my number like almost immediately. Uh, we had barely had any exchange at all. And he gave me some line like, hey, if you don't mind, I don't check this app very often, especially during the work week. Would it be okay if you know, I asked for your number and I texted you and my gut instinct said, no, I don't like giving out my number for several reasons. Um, one, I just, I have so many numbers in my phone with bees next to them, like signifying that they're from Bumble or a dating app. And it's just too many numbers and like too many guys that I don't know. It's clogged. I don't like it. Uh, also, I feel like you have to earn my number, right? You don't get to just say, hi, what's your number? Like chit chat with me for a second. I'm not giving out my number like it's candy. Um, Third, you can find out anything about someone if you have their phone number. You know how many times I just pop a phone number into Color Smart, I get their last name, I put them into Facebook, and like that's that. It's so terrifying how it's, much is like what you can find now. Yeah. So I mean, granted, he could just search Anna Baltimore Sun Ole Miss. The first thing that would come up is my LinkedIn profile, which has my last name and then you would know anything about me that you wanted to know. But a phone number would just be a shortcut to that, and I'm not comfortable telling you everything about me yet. I, I Also, I would prefer to tell you myself, right, and not have you learn everything about me through a Google search. Now, I'm definitely, like I mentioned on a previous episode, I am an advocate for doing your research before mm -hmm. meeting up with a stranger. That being said, I love having an opportunity to have an exchange and teach you about myself yeah. and you to teach me about yourself. The Google search is going to come if I'm really serious about you or if I'm really skeptical or if we're even getting to a place where we're going to meet up. The second I have a match, I'm not Googling you to find you. Mm -hmm. It's not that serious yeah. quite just yet. Um, and then also, if you have my phone number, 
you have just more direct access to me and that's not something I take lightly. I'm really busy. I'm not going to text you all day, especially if I don't even know you. And like I touched on before, you have not earned that access yet. So all of that being said, I do believe it's harmless for the most part. And I believe I'm not special in this regard. Guys probably just, you know, try to get as many phone numbers as they can of people that they're interested in on the dating apps. And I get that. Um, so at first in my head, I was thinking, no, I don't want to give you my number. But then the self-doubt and, you know, the codependent thinking started to creep in. And I was thinking, like, if I, if I tell him no, he won't like me. Or if I tell him no, he'll think I'm being crazy or whatever. But then I just relaxed and I remembered it's not that serious. And I set a boundary. I waited, like, 30 minutes. And then I said, actually, I prefer not to give out my phone number very frequently. And he was super cool about it. And you know what he said? He said, I fully respect that. I'll definitely be checking this app more often then. And I thought that was really cool. Like, he respected me, and he thought it was cool that I set a boundary. I don't have to change what I'm comfortable with just to please some guy I don't even know. That's that's not ever what you should do. Yeah. And to be perfectly honest, when you first said that that was what his open was to you, I was like... Okay, that can be seen nine different ways. It can totally. be either that's like super respectful and like I understand that you're trying to communicate with people and like meet people, yeah. just not necessarily through there. Or it could be kind of skeezy a little and saying like, oh, okay, how often does this line work on people kind of thing. And again, you don't know until you actually start to talk to that person and, and, fig and figure that out to say, okay, no, he was just being honest and truthful and just cool and understanding I guess kind right. of thing right so, so I decided it would just be best to go with my gut instinct mm -hmm. it's not that serious just you know politely yeah. tell him no um and to see that he re you know received that well was was really cool yeah and it's, it's one of those things thing about what Crystal said too it's like if he took it the wrong way then fine that's then, not then that's it it's not a then loss. you're gone he's yeah. getting me to the person that that's here kind of Absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I it's will say, people. though, as lovely and promising as this sounds, we are no longer chit-chatting because he sent me about 12 messages in a oh row. Oh, gosh. So, <laughs> so I, I'm They're really glad eager. I didn't give my phone number then. Well, he because... was really checking it a lot more then. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. You're right. You sure are busy in the right. day. You don't have time to send me 12 messages in a row. <laughs> exactly. That I don't know about that line anymore. Right. Glad I went with my gut. <laughs> So that brings us to our quote of the day. As we wrap up the episode, the quote is, don't write your boundaries in chalk, write them in Sharpie. So often, like in the example with the dating app, we second guess our own boundaries and we think about imaginary consequences that may happen but probably won't if we set the boundary. And that makes us erase our boundaries, if only for a little bit. But when you can clearly identify what's okay and what's not okay within you, and you can effectively communicate that to other people, you're gonna get what you want and people aren't going to mess with you so much. So I encourage each of you to look at the boundaries you're setting or not setting and assess whether or not you're writing them in chalk or Sharpie. For the book, we're gonna go with Girl Stop Apologizing by Rachel Hollis. Now, full disclaimer, I haven't finished reading this yet, um, but I like what I've read so far and I picked this for a very specific purpose. So you may know Rachel as the author of Girl Wash Your Face, which I would also recommend, but I wanted to start with Girl Stop Apologizing because I realized yesterday at work that I have a problem with over-apologizing and we as women collectively have a problem apologizing, but the example I'm alluding to is that I cried yesterday at work. Everything's fine. Um, I'm just really overwhelmed about a situation and I'm, you know, I'm still doing well at work. I still like my job. I'm still you know, enjoying all the people. It's not that. It's just this one particular situation 
literally brought me to tears. And I apologized to my coworkers like five times for crying. And then later I was like, why am I apologizing for being human, for being vulnerable, for having feelings, for releasing involuntary tears that are heavy? I'm not sorry at all. You know, a little frazzled maybe, but I'm, I'm not sorry. So instead I collected myself and I replaced sorry with thank you. And instead of saying sorry for crying, I said thank you for helping me, you know, and thank you for understanding. And I'm much more comfortable with that approach um, because I think honestly, like, my emotions and my sensitivity, you got to remember, I'm an Enneagram 4, um, that's kind of my superpower. You know, for so long, I was told it was a bad thing. You can't make it in corporate. Get, t- get thicker skin. Uh, grow up. Um, you know, whatever. And I, I just, I don't believe that anymore. I don't believe those lies I'm being spoon-fed. I believe that my sensitivity and, you know, my emotional side is what allows me to feel things so deeply. Um, and I, I believe that it is a special quality. Yeah. Well, and I feel like, um, the, like the emotions that you're feeling, I mean, you are feeling because you care about it. And yeah. like, like, I feel like you wouldn't feel those if that was if, apathetic. So, exactly. Be You'd be like, ah, oh, fine, whatever. Right. Kind of thing. But um, and obviously I think it says a lot. that's not to say that anybody who's not sensitive or doesn't cry is like a sociopath. That's not yeah. what I'm claiming. Everybody handles every situation differently and you mm-hmm. process your own feelings differently, but I'm a crier. I just am. Um, Do you find sometimes, I find sometimes once I start crying, I can't turn them off. Oh. So like I'll just go about regular stuff during the day and they'll still totally. be like, there. Totally. <laughs> like I handled the situation and it was fine and it was over and I still continued yeah, like, to cry. you stop? And everyone's like, I thought you guys took care of it. Everything's fine. I'm like, we did. I just, it's not stopping. Yeah. Um, but I would encourage you guys to read these books and see how you, how you can apply them in your own lives as well. I also recommend the audiobook version of Girl, Wash Your Face. I did listen to that. Yeah. And yeah, Rachel, because Rachel narrates it. Yep. And I think she does Girl Stop Apologizing, so too. too. Yeah, mm-hmm. the audiobook of it was great and easy, easy yeah, to listen to. Perfect, especially if you're listening to this podcast, you clearly like audio. Yeah. So just get the audiobooks. Let us know what you think. All right, we're wrapping up here. Episode 9 is coming to an end. I seriously loved this episode. This was so much fun. Uh, I loved kind of getting back to basics with you guys. I have so much I want to talk to you about on the next episode. We will be announcing that guest very soon. She is confirmed. But um, I know we've mentioned the show Dead to Me in the past, but we never covered it. So I'm going to plan for us to cover it next All right. time. Um, so I everyone also, watch it before we I get know, there. I'm going to need to rewatch it. Catch up. Take some yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I also learned of a funny new way to make money, and we'll talk about that on the next episode. And I'm going to San Diego this week, so I will recap that trip next time as well. If you liked what you heard today, please subscribe, share with a friend. If you have comments, questions, or anything you want us to address on the podcast or anything you want us to share, please email us at podcast at enoughbiz.com. That's podcast at enoughbiz.com. Also, remember, you can check us out at enoughbiz.com on our website. You can DM us on Instagram at the Enough Podcast. And for today, that's enough. We'll catch you next time.